Okay, so before I get started, let's just make sure you are tuned into the right podcast. This podcast is not about recruiters. It's all about the guys in HR, the guys who do the hiring in HR. They are called the talent acquisition team. That's the cool new lingo for HR people. And the title they have in the company is called talent acquisition. These are the guys who are responsible for the job ads, the selection, the interviewing, and for most parts, also the hiring of the right candidates. I'm going to tell you in this podcast what you need to know about the talent acquisition guys, how to reach out to them without being fobbed off, how to get through to them, how to get shortlisted for an interview, and most importantly, how to ensure that you get the job you deserve. Hello friends and fans, I hope you are well and in good spirit wherever you are. My name is Uli Shield, aka Mr. Career Tick, and in today's podcast, I'm going to talk to you about what you need to know about the HR guys that are responsible for the hiring within a company. They're often referred to as the talent acquisition team. So let's get started and talk a little bit about the whole effective job hunter game. In my experience with job hunters, you know, sitting on both sides of the table as a career coach and also as an HR professional, I have learned that you need to be an effective job hunter. And to be an effective job hunter, you really need to first learn how to exercise what I call intellectual empathy. In other words, you need to learn how to think like the person on the other end of the table. And the first way to do that is to ask yourself, what is this person trying to achieve through his or her work? And that, in my view, is mind shift number one. So close your eyes and just imagine you're sitting on one end of the table, you're playing a job hunter game, and on the other end of the table within the company is the talent acquisition guys and the hiring managers who are sort of hovering over them, they're breathing down the back of their neck, and they are playing an elimination game. Your job is to secure the job, but for the hiring managers and the talent acquisition team, the whole game, the whole objective is actually to filter through the pool of candidates to find one, the best candidate. And in order to do that, they are playing an elimination game, eliminating applicants, that's you, the guy on the other side of the table, one by one. That's nothing personal. It's just how it works. They are running a business and they're looking for a candidate who will be the best fit for the business objectives on their plate, on their software, within the briefing they have from the hiring manager. That's the person who actually wants to hire you. Now, you may ask yourself, why am I telling you all of this? Well, you need to ask yourself, sitting on the other side of the table, how does it change the narrative for you, you the job hunter? Any job has a set of problems or is a set of problems, and you need to come into the conversation as a problem solver, not just as an applicant. 
you are here to fix things and that is what you need to let them know. You're not here to ask for a job. That's really important that you make that important mind shift that you are here to fix things. You're not just here to ask for a job. So how can you change the presentation of your offerings? Here's how. Now, some of you out there might say that what I'm starting with is the obvious, but trust me, I know it's not for so many of my clients. And here it is. You need to study the job description thoroughly. I mean it really thoroughly. What is the actual job? Is it actually what you can do? It really makes sense, in my view, to only apply for the position if you can do at least 65% of the job or the items in the job description. Less than that, you're really wasting everyone's time. And your most valuable asset as a job hunter, just as it is for the hiring manager, is your time. So don't waste it. Less than that doesn't really work out because you might be competing with the people who can do 80, maybe 90%. By the way, no one achieves 100% of what a company is looking for. Superstars don't exist. Superstars don't look for jobs. So in my rule book or in my experience, you have to have at least 65% of what the job description is asking for. And if you don't have it, you're wasting everyone's most valuable asset, and that is their time and your time. You really need to learn how to read between the lines and how to understand how the hiring manager, so that's the guy at the very end, and the team, the talent acquisition team, actually define success for the candidate for this particular job. Okay, so you're all cool with that? Then give that one a big tick. Now, should you decide to approach people within the company, you need to think about what will you say once you open a conversation. And that applies both in writing as well as a follow-up call, as well as a phone screening call, a phone interview, a video interview, or if you're lucky, in the actual interview. You can't have an effective pitch if you lack clarity on what exactly you bring to the table. And that takes it back to what I said initially, which of their problems can you actually solve? That's your pitch. That's your start. Your awareness of your value is the foundation for everything for all your interaction with the people. So in this instance, the talent acquisition team, and at the end of the lane, the actual hiring manager, the people who can have an impact on your situation as an applicant. Now on paper, this whole thing is called your pitch section. In an actual conversation, it's your elevator pitch. On your LinkedIn profile, it's in the about section. In cold emails, it's something else. In the screening call, it's something else. In the informational or the actual job interview, it's something else. For any of those types of interactions, you need to have your mental checklist done and ready. It's your pitch. 
you need to be able to explain which of their problems can you solve. So how do you do that? Very easy. Use one of my Mr. Career Tick tick lists. Tick number one you need to achieve is what are you as a professional? Tick number two, what are your key skills, areas of knowledge, area of expertise? Tick number three, why? This is really important. Why specifically do you want to work for this company? Next tick, what's in it for them? This is not about you. It's or The job is never about you, by the way. It's always about them. So what's in it for them? What do you bring to the table? Tick, what makes you unique, different from the other 800 people who've just applied for the job? And by the way, guys, I always sort of emphasize that with a lot of my career coaching clients. Before COVID, any position that pays somewhere upwards of $70,000 would get somewhere between 150 or 100 to 150 applications in the first five to 10 days. That situation has significantly changed depending which country you're listening from. So if you're in the UK or the US, that can be up to two or 300 people in the first 48 hours. Imagine that. So what makes you unique? What makes you different from the other few hundred people who have applied for exactly that same job? That's what you need to think about and that's your pitch point. And the way I always explain it is think of it like the guy on the other side of the table. Which of their problems can you solve? And you can only determine that if you really take a close look at the job description of the problems described in the job ad. So don't just fly over it. Actually pay attention to it. I'm sure you all know that I'm quite passionate about all of this, not only because I'm a career coach and a professional resume writer, but also because I work as an HR manager. And I know it that if you uncover the answers to these questions, these key questions that involve a lot of writing, obviously, don't let that intimidate you. It's an interactive process and every next version of your pitch will be better than the previous one. And if you need help with that, hire a professional. What I'm trying to say is you should try to keep digging deep into your soul until you distill your actual killer pitch, your elevator pitch, whatever you want to call it. And... I know this may sound a bit weird, but it should actually have almost TED Talk quality and presidential confidence. And the only way you can achieve that is through practice. Practice, practice, practice. That's really how you get there. Okay, now let's talk about the second important part. I call it the radar. And the radar has two key distinctions that I'm going to explain. There are two ways to get under the radar of the people in the talent acquisition team. Becoming an applicant or becoming a lead. Ping, ping, ping. 
right? Because if you're just an applicant, the radar will just skim over you because you've made it into the applicant tracking system. Because most organizations use an applicant tracking system. But if you have a high score, if you're really addressing what I initially explained, then you're moving from becoming just an applicant to becoming a lead. And that's when the radar ping, ping, ping. And this is really important for you to understand. You're an applicant if you just submit your resume on the career side. Your resume gets inside the ATS or the applicant tracking system. And by the way, if you don't know enough about that, if this is new lingo to you, I have a podcast on that. What is an applicant tracking system and how does it affect you? Just check it out. It's a 15-minute podcast and then you really know what it's all about. So your resume needs to get inside the ATS, the applicant tracking system, and is they're reviewed along and compared against with all the other applicants. If you want to be considered, you really need to know how to deal with applicant tracking systems and how to stand out. And here are some tips on your applications. First, number one, your application needs to be ATS proof. And that's explained in the podcast I just mentioned. The next tip I always have is submit your resume in PDF format. And the reason for that is there is about, I would say, 90 different applicant tracking systems out there from the older ones to the most recent ones. And they all read or scan your document from the left to the right and down within a couple of seconds. And then they extract from that documentation the key information, not just the key information, but the substantiated key information. And the applicant tracking system gives your substantiated key information a score or a ranking. And if the score or ranking is too low, then you're not going to ping. And the better way to enable the applicant tracking system to actually scan everything properly is by submitting your resume in PDF. That is for the majority of the ATS systems. Now, some job ads will specifically ask you to submit your submission or to submit your resume and cover letter in a particular format, particularly organizations who use older ATS systems. So it's really important that you pay attention to the job ad again. Remember what I said in the very beginning, to the very end of the job ad, pay attention to what they're saying. So pay attention to the submission instruction. And if there is no mention of you submitting it in any particular format, play safe and submit your resume in PDF. Now, the other thing that is obvious is you need to have a good design. You need to make it visually appealing, but nothing wild or tacky or over the top. You know, I get so many resumes where people do really bizarre stuff like they plaster it with company logos and uh, backlinks and huge white spaces and bullet short sentences or no block of text and, you know, all of those things. What you really need to have is just a good design 
a design that achieves two things. The ATS, it enables the ATS to scan through it and extract properly. And then the human eye to actually have a visually appealing document in front of them so that when they read it, it actually makes sense. It's not clustered, convoluted, difficult to read or to comprehend, etc. So readability is the most important part. White spaces, bullets, short sentences, no blocks of tests, clean, simple fonts, and of course, the right size. A lot of candidates tend to do uh, some really strange stuff. They use things like font size 10 or 9 or 8 because they want to get everything onto under two pages or three. And that then makes it really, really difficult. Now, the next thing you need to try to achieve is you need to make your resume achievement focused. And again, this loops it back to what I said in the very beginning. The talent acquisition team is definitely going to look for the so-called achiever pattern, right? Which problems can you solve? And then the evidence is called the achiever pattern. So did you just come in at nine o'clock and leave at five? Or did you actually deliver results? Because most of us don't live in, you know, I won't name a particular country, but you know those countries where you really don't actually have to achieve any results. You just have a job, a nine to five job. So the point here is the talent acquisition team is going to look for the so-called achiever pattern. And that's usually in the key achievement sections. Have you successfully delivered measurable results, tangible results? So strong candidates always present key responsibilities they should never be more than five or six and tangible, measurable, sustainable or evidence-based deliverables. And what I always say to remember it, the easiest way is show your numbers. I have a formula that I always explain to all my clients. If you put something into a bullet sentence under key responsibilities, ask yourself, does it contain facts, figures, and numbers. Without facts, figures, or numbers, it's not substantiated. It's generally just a motherhood statement. When you're talking about key achievements, read the sentence first and ask yourself, is this just a grand-sounding motherhood statement, or is it a motherhood statement that you can actually substantiate by adding facts, figures, or numbers? If you want to understand the difference of how to do that properly, there's also another podcast on this topic. So just check out my episodes and you'll find everything there. Next point, skills. The most important second part. I know everything's important, but anyway, well, you know what I'm trying to say. If you can get supporting evidence for why you claim you have those skills, it will definitely significantly increase their validity. And that's what it's all about. A lot of people say, I have education or I have this many years experience. Well, you need to validate your claim why you have that particular skill or experience. And you can't just expect that because of your couple of years or many years that you're entitled 
to that validity, you actually need to provide proof. You know the old saying, the proof is in the pudding. So we can put anything we want on our resume, but can we actually prove it? That is the question you need or actually you must ask yourself when you write something down. Next point, if your resume looks interesting to the talent acquisition team, it will look you up. And that's what I call social proofing. Make sure that they like what they find. Now, what do I mean with that? I receive so many resumes, so many applications from people. And then when I conduct the social check, and I compare the social check with the resume, in probably I would argue 55 to 60%, there's a huge discrepancy because the candidate might feel that he or she has an up-to-date resume, but what they're mirroring on their LinkedIn profile is all over the place. And that tells me that some of the parts are made up. Right? And that's really important. If your resume looks interesting to the talent acquisition person, they're going to look you up on social media before they present your resume to their hiring manager. Because, and this takes me back to the points I mentioned earlier, they cannot afford to waste their most valuable asset, which is their time. Because if the talent manager does a social check on you and it doesn't mirror in most parts what you're saying in your resume, then the hiring manager comes back to the talent acquisition person in that HR department saying, did you not check on this person? Did you not cross-check that they are really who they claim they are because there are two different people on the resume and in their social profiles? So this is really important, guys. What you're saying in your documentation really needs to mirror in your social proof sites that you have. Not everyone's on LinkedIn. Other people have other profiles on social profile pages that are relevant to their industry. For example, GitHub is one of those. Or if you're over in Europe, in the German-speaking countries, it's Zing. Uh, you know, the list goes on. Now let's talk about another really important one, and that is the cover letter. I've been an HR professional for over 15 years. I hate cover letters. I abhor them. They're actually a complete waste of time. And I always tell my clients, unless the job ad specifically requests of you to attach a cover letter, don't do it because your pitch page, so page number one of your resume should actually replace the cover letter. No one will read your cover letter if your resume is weak. And the strongest part of your resume is your pitch. It replaces the cover letter. Now you're going to ask me, but why do then some job ads ask for a cover letter? Well, it's quite easy in my view. I ask as an HR professional for a cover letter when I want to have evidence that you can present three key skills. 
Skill number one, that you are in command of our language. You know, I'm sure you've noticed this. I have a German background and my English is not perfect, but I believe in writing it's pretty good. It's okay. Yeah. But when companies ask for cover letters, they sometimes really have to ensure that your writing skills are really up to par because the position requires that. And a cover letter will give them proof of that because a lot of people hire resume services and then resume and cover letter look very different. Or companies ask you to write a cover letter to address particular questions. Or some companies even go a bit further and they ask you to address selection criteria, one or two points within your cover letter. And if you're hiring a resume writing service to just quickly skim over that, then I can actually tell that this is not really your skill. So the point I'm trying to make here is if the job ad does not specifically request a cover letter, you don't need to attach one. Just make sure that your pitch section on page one of your resume really brings out your skill. Now, the second reason why companies are often asking for cover letters, a lot of jobs require managerial skills and genuine communication skills. And communication skills have two or three aspects, actually a bit more. I always say we have two eyes, two ears, and just one mouth. But as a manager or mid-level or senior person, you also have to put a lot of things in writing. And that's not everyone's skill, right? A lot of people don't know how to explain something that's complex in nature in layman terms or something that's complex in nature into professional terms because they need to deliver it to a particular client group within the business or outside of the business. And this is when companies want to see your style of writing, your style of communication in writing. And that's when they ask for a cover letter. And the third point is they actually, and this is really a bit of a hidden one, is they want to see if you are the kind of guy who starts a bit like this. In the beginning, there was a fire and Moses came down the hill. And what I really want to say is Moses had blue eyes, but actually, you know, mostly I'm succinct and clean. But um, on this occasion, I really think it's important that you know that Moses had blue eyes and, you know, you get the point. This is the third reason why companies want cover letters. This is particularly the point when you have to lead people, when you have to sell because no one buys a complicated story, and when you have to do things like analysis and writing reports, right? That's sort of the the worst version uh, of people who are just not capable of putting something that's complex in nature into succinct, clean, and to-the-point writing. So there you have it. The whole content, the whole thing around the cover letter, make sure you pay attention to the job ad. So guys, remember, we're still just on the second point, and that is how do you move your way from just being an applicant to becoming 
a talent lead. Now, from a talent acquisition standpoint, you'll eventually agree that the statistic probability of finding a quality candidate among so many other online applicants can be quite low. Why? Simply because there are so many candidates out there who don't pay attention to the job ads or they don't understand the job description. There are so many candidates out there who look at job ads, they just skim over them, they don't pay attention to uh, whether they qualify for the position and they still apply. And it often, you know, when I'm asked, what does that look like? It's a bit like this. Mm, Looks like me, sounds like me, is in the right area, pays the right money. Let me use my resume, copy, paste, send, copy, paste, send, copy, paste, send. And this is the worst, right? You eventually have a high enough score to make it into the system. But what you've actually done is you've just spammed the system with your resumes and you actually don't have a chance. And this is what makes the life of the talent acquisition team difficult. And this is why talent acquisition teams rely on the applicant tracking software. Without the applicant tracking software, they would never get anything done. They would just go through resume after resume after resume. And this is what the applicant tracking software does. It actually scores your documentation, compares it, ranks it, and then decides whether you are genuinely a lead or just on the radar. So you see, the target approach is the approach that you need to take as a job hunter. You need to move yourself from just being an applicant to a lead. So the second strategy for the talent acquisition team is sourcing. The team will go into the field and it will try to find, after it has received a listing from the applicant tracking software, to find a strong candidate manually. So it'll have a list of candidates that are in the upper end, and then it'll decide how do they do that. Now, if you really want to understand these things in detail, then I would recommend to you that you go on to LinkedIn. There is a course on LinkedIn Learning Uh, And there you can familiarize yourself how all of that basically works and how you can turn yourself into a picture-perfect candidate profile in their head so that when they check your result on the resume or the LinkedIn profile with keywords and otherwise, that they think you are a lead, not just a candidate. And this is where the second element of your application becomes really important. The social proofing, and for most of us, it is the LinkedIn profile. You need to also be a strong LinkedIn lead. And I'm going to tell you how. Okay, make sure that your LinkedIn profile is polished to perfection. And what I mean with that is, Nothing is older than yesterday's news. I can really tell if you're paying attention to your LinkedIn profile. 
Make sure that you design your background banner and that you have a nice picture. And I'm not talking about these pictures with suit and tie and things like that. Just casual, professional or smart casual or whatever the word is. Optimize your headline. The headline is really important because the headline tells me who are you, what are you, which of my problems can you solve. Think about what kind of searches you want to attract with your profile because if you have the wrong headline, if you're not optimizing your headline, you're not popping up. Next one, populate your LinkedIn profile with keywords of the types of jobs that you're intending to apply for. That not only gives you a higher ranking and a higher score, it actually will make sense. In other words, it'll continue to polish your LinkedIn profile to the perfection that I'm talking about. And then in your LinkedIn profile, under the particular positions that you've held, write extensively in all your bullets in the experience section what exactly your achievements and skills were or are. So you obviously have at the top the most current one and then you go down to the previous positions. And here's another tip, guys. Don't list jobs you had 15, 20 years ago because you're feeding the bias. Stop at the maximum 12-year point. Even if you're a mature age job hunter, because if I invite you to an interview, I'm actually interested in the currency of your LinkedIn profile. And if you're using outdated currency, in other words, if you're talking about stuff you did 15, 20 years ago, you're creating bias against yourself. So you know how SEO or search engine optimization works for websites it's similar for your LinkedIn profile. So all your keywords that signal your competence and your expertise, they need to show up frequently in the right places. And the way you can actually really hamper or even kill your profile is if your profile shows keywords, legacy keywords from things you did 15 or 20 years ago, because it literally shows up as, you know, bias, outdated. So the more populated your profile is with current information, the higher it will rank in the search and the higher the likelihood of you being considered. And now the one that is most important to me. When I look at a candidate, I look at three key criteria. Who are you? What are you? So I explained that, right? Your name, your profession, etc. If you can't explain that in a couple of words, you've already lost me. But then the last part after the who are you, what are you is why are you here? Which of my problems can you solve? And that's in the about section. That should be optimized for the LinkedIn recruiter, for the hiring manager, or for the talent acquisition person who then introduces you to the actual hiring manager, the person who's going to make the decision ultimately of whether you're going to get the job. So your about section needs to be optimized for that. And that means 
talent acquisition should find everything that they want in that section. And that's why you always need to check your about section to ensure that it is up to date. You need to capture their attention and you know you can achieve that by hiring a professional resume writing service and they make sure that your about section and all the rest is really up to date. Or if you have the time yourself and if you don't want to spend the money, then take a course on copywriting and learn how to express your voice. Again, it's an interactive process. It's important and it really matters that you have a polished about me pitch. If you don't have it, your chances are actually quite low. I am interested in you being able to explain to me which of my problems you, you can solve. So who are you? What are you? Why are you here? And which of my problems can you solve? But at the end of the game, there's also one other really important component, and that is, do you actually have a life? Do you fit into my company culture? And you can call it what you want. I basically call it, do you do something on the side? Now, I'm not talking about the Boy Scouts and, and some uh, nothing wrong with the Boy Scouts, by the way. Don't get me wrong. But the point I'm trying to make here is, are you passionate about something? Are you passionate about people or the world around you or results or something like that? What I always recommend to all my clients is show that you do something on the side, that you present or that you have launched a passion project, you know, passion projects, whatever they are, a side business, a freelance, that you're keeping yourself busy outside of work that shows that you uh, have a balanced and healthy life that is not just about your work that you're not just looking for a day job, but that you're actually an achiever both in work and in your personal life, that you're not just cruising through it. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with cruising. There's actually companies who look for cruisers. yeah. But the point I'm trying to make here is if you're looking for a position that looks for people who want to have career growth and aspiration, etc., then you need to have this in your social profile. This is a creative part and I'll leave that one with you. But trust me, this growth said alone, this mindset alone will get you very far and the radar will ping really loud. 